if the author is bored writing it, just imagine what the reader feels. This is the Yoakum Strength Podcast with me, your host, Austin Yoakum, and producer Marcus Sasson behind the scenes. This quote leads us into our podcast today, and this is the first of its kind on a Yoakum Strength of the Meathead Roundtable. We've done a couple roundtable discussions, we've done a couple multi-guest discussions so far, but this was six meatheads on the podcast, a couple recurring guests in Will Rattel and Jake Tura on the podcast, and then we introduced a couple new guests on the podcast. We had Kendrick Pratt from Elon, we had Al Pearson, who is a friend of Jake that we dunk with all the time, and then we have intern Locken making his first appearance on the podcast, and if you guys follow us on Instagram, you see that intern Locken's been crushing everything in the internship now when we finally get him on the podcast, and you get to see his his kind of view of the world and training, and the goal at the end of the end of the internship is to have him on for his whole podcast but you'll get to get a sneak peek of his thought process on training and it's really cool to hear him talk about his views of the world of sports performance right now when he's 19 years old and it'll be really cool to see in a couple of years uh, how that changes but right now it's it's so far advanced from where I was at when I was at 19 and we talked about that on the podcast but this whole meathead roundtable was done after like three hours of five on five basketball and dunks and really just got to see some athletes play and when we we're done we just went to this random uh it was actually lock-ins high school's weight room underneath this football stadium and it's just the biggest dungeon ever and we brought a mic there we put it down and we just had conversations about dunks had conversations about really becoming superhuman and sitting in the circle i got to look at five other superhumans the people that uh, people that other people would look at and be like holy shit how are they doing that people that can search for four or five people that can throw down windmill dunks people that can do 360s and just do crazy things with their bodies and we talked about how do we get to that point we talked about how we get our athletes interested in training so they can get to that point and how it's not just uh all right the 12-week speed program it's not the the two weeks of vertical and while we push some of those things we talk about our programs and the importance of them it's bigger than that. And this was a really, really fun conversation. That's why I like the quote at the beginning, because I, I was engaged the entire time. I think we talked total for like two hours, but we trimmed it down to like an hour podcast just so you guys didn't have to listen to the whole meathead talk. But I really enjoyed this conversation with a great group of coaches. And I, I hope you guys enjoy being a fly on the wall and listening to us meatheads and get something from this podcast. And I thank you guys for listening. I thank you guys for com- continuing to support this podcast. Before we hit the intro music, I wanted to introduce to you guys the Yoakum Strength Insider. The Yoakum Strength Insider is our online training platform that takes all of the ideas that we talk about on this podcast and implements them into a program that is available to you at the touch of your fingers. Our goal with the Yoakum Strength Insider is to create better movers, to level up your life, and to move forward from where you are. We do this in a holistic fashion. Not only will you receive a program that has helped hundreds of people become better movers, you'll also receive access to our app that allows you to track everything, has video links for all exercises, and allows you to be in constant communication with a Yoakum Strength Coach. Along with this, you'll get our 30-page PDF Nutrition and Lifestyle Guidelines. That includes everything from what to eat, how much of it to eat, why we're eating it, meditation habits, and other lifestyle habits that we implement with our clients to really level up their lives. If you're interested in trying out one of these programs, use Podcast 25 in the discount section right before you pay for 25% off your first program. Marcus, you know what time it is. Hit that intro music. Boom. Boom.
is the Yoakum Strength Podcast. Take the leap down the rabbit hole with us as we interview elite level guests to unravel what high performance really is. Welcome, meatheads. We're here. We got a little roundtable talk. We got six of us in this conversation. We just got done dunking, playing five-on-five basketball, yoke and strength, and workhorse, and we kind of balled out. I was going to say workhorse one, but workhorse kind of lost. So if you guys want to go around, uh, introduce yourself a little bit to the, uh, to the group so everybody recognizes your voice, where you're from, and give a little intro on you. You don't have to go 60 minutes like we talked about at Chipotle, but just a little intro on yourself and... We got a couple of reoccurring guests. We got an intern on the podcast and some new new faces on the podcast. Kendrick, you want to start? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Kendrick Pratt. I'm at uh, Elon University right now, uh, working with their football team as uh, an intern there. Uh, prior to in the prior to getting into the strength and conditioning, uh, I was active duty for the military for four years. Uh, been in for ten total, and uh, currently in my master's program at uh, University of Louisville. Nice. Uh, Will Rattel. I'm currently at the University of North Dakota, uh, working with men's basketball, volleyball, men's and women's tennis, and assisting with football. Other than that, I don't really think I have much relevant information to say about myself, so we can just move on to Jake. The books. The books. The e-books. What e-books? Your e-books. Yeah, so your yeah. e-books. Yourself. Oh, <laughs> I wouldn't call them ebooks, but I got a, got a few programs on my website. Um, like the bestseller is the Launch 1.01. Um, it's really all about just becoming a more explosive, powerful athlete. Uh, a lot of running, jumping, lifting heavy shit. Um, that's really all it is. And it's programmed and designed in a way to get you. Get you uh, athletic. Yeah, Will just so, got done yeah. shitting on all of us in basketball. So. <laughs> and Will, uh, so uh, listeners of this podcast, Will was on the podcast probably five months ago. It was longer than that. It was longer like September. September. September, October. Yeah, so if you guys want to go back and listen to his story, he's on here too. And we got yeah. reoccurring Jess, the hypertrophy cluster god, ISO god. Yeah. All he does is ISOs. Yes. Uh, uh, Jake Tura, so now I'm at, I was at the college, now I'm at uh, Velocity Hockey Center training the hockey guys. And then, um, the, the online stuff, jacked athlete, you know, get huge, get athletic, um, heal, heal your knee pain. If it's patellar tendon pain, not patellofemoral pain, so that's it. And that's it. <laughs> uh, Al Pearson, former college athlete, uh, now just a meathead dunker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, Lock and Reed, I'm currently interning for Austin at Yoakum Strength. First appearance on the pod. That's Let's right, go. that's right. I'm uh, also studying at uh, Gustavus Adolphus College, going to be a sophomore next year, studying exercise physiology and English, pursuing a career in strength and conditioning, teaching, just trying to help people become better at being people. Um, I'm also working for Blake High School, training their summer training program for the hockey team. Uh, I'm also Going to work with the Gustavus men's soccer program next year, so I'm very excited about that. And outside of that, a lot of lifting, a lot of working with Austin, and having a great time. Is there a trick 405 today? More than that, it's a big bar. Oh <laughs> my god, all bars, all bars, all bars are 45. <laughs> yeah. So with, with the um, with the Zurcher talk, right yeah. now, that'll be a good dovetail, and everybody can chime in whenever you want to chime in. But Lockin just hopped in. All the all the football guys were lifting today, um, hitting Zurchers. 
and Lockin just jumped in, just pushing them a little bit. And we just kept, kept adding wheels, added a wheel, added a wheel, and we got the four plates. And that's where something like a lot of people look at and they're like, holy shit, like, like what's happening there? And they'll look at a lot of Jake stuff, a lot of Will stuff, and they'll be like, what the fuck, dude? Like, how do you get to that point? And that's something that I've had talking with my athletes. It's like, and Will, you brought this up at uh, dinner tonight. You're like, you'll get like, how, much, how many results can I get in 12 weeks? And it's like, what, what is the process to building like a body like that, like like that superhuman body that people are looking forward to doing, being able to dunk like Ali, like being able to do some of these special things and just being able to step under and be like, hey, this is what I've built up through years and years of training. Like what what does that kind of process look like? I would want to open that question up and kind of dive into that. Yeah, uh, I mean, I get messages, not all the time, but sometimes from people who ask like, like how, how can I learn to dunk or like, can I learn to dunk in two weeks? And it's always like, <laughs> well, what are you doing right now? Like, what does your background look like? What does your athletic background look like? And usually when I have, when I respond to these people and ask them this stuff, like they don't have a background at all. And it's like, well, number one, you gotta, you gotta start dunking, practice dunking. If you can't dunk, go do some rim touches. If you can't even touch rim, go try to touch rim. Um, do that over and over and over again. And if you can't do that, you're probably not that strong. So go lift some weights. Um, and like, like you've talked about it before, Austin, like go learn to be an adaptable human first. And once you become an adaptable human, then start working on specific skills that you want to enhance too. So like sprint, jump, lift heavy shit, lift heavy shit in a variety of <laughs> range of motions, variety of planes, you know what I mean? Just go do a lot of, expose yourself to a lot of different stimuluses and stresses. And over time you're going to develop and there's really no reason for most people, most people, I'm saying most people, to worry about something short term, like how can I dunk in two weeks? Or how can I squat 405 in six weeks? So. I guess that's my two cents there and anyone else and kind of chime in too. Yeah. And I, I want to kind of think that kind of takes a little bit down the nonlinear when we were talking with Jared about this, uh, one of our soccer athletes at the end of um, program today. And it's like that nonlinear approach that you mentioned, like lifting the weights in like a bunch of different ways and just building uh, the, the foundation overall is something that I think needs to be talked about more. Cause it's right now it's like, you have these high school athletes like I'm gonna squat four or five and then that's gonna do it and it's like that that but then what do you do next exactly like, yes and then that like it's almost like I was trying to describe this to Jared it's like that something that could help you squatting four or five if you did it in a way of you just what you're doing that to become a better athlete or whatever it is like a different goal but if your goal becomes a squat four or five and then you put all of your effort into squatting four or five it's like you just became a better squatter. And if you didn't do that in a variety of ways, many times like, and I, that's the only reason I know this because it was me, like it was me growing up. And it just becomes that linear kind of meathead approach to, all right, I'm just gonna keep doing this. And I'm just gonna spend so much effort doing this rather than doing it in a way of, we're talking with Jarrett's day, it's like single leg RDL or hips or something like that. And you do it, that single leg RDL the first week and then for let's take six weeks off that single leg RDL and build up the hamstring, just keep it in a hamstring type movement. And then we come back to that single leg RDL. And if we gained in that single leg RDL, 
doing a variety of ways. That is something to me that is more powerful than just increasing your single leg RDL by doing it for six weeks straight and trying to build up that foundation that way. Yeah, and if, like if you want to increase, going back to like vertical jumping, if you want to increase your vertical jump, why do you want to increase your vertical jump? Like that should just be a byproduct of improving your ability to produce high outputs in a variety of contexts. Like improving your standing vertical jump, that's a skill in itself. And so when people say, I want to hit like a 36 inch vertical, I always ask them like, why? Because how is that going to apply to your sport? Um, like, like I said, it's gotta be, you want to improve your vertical jump as a byproduct of your training. You don't want to go, I want to hit a 36 inch vertical jump. Cause once you achieve that, then what? Then you say, oh, I want to hit a 38 yeah. and a 40. Like it, it's kind of nonsensical to me. And you lose sight of the goal. And that, that was something yeah. we did with, uh, so we had two girls just randomly hop. They just like, hey, we were doing vertical jumps one day and we, they wanted to bring out the timers again. And it was the first time we've tested them in maybe probably two months, three months. And they jumped and we have never done like a strict, strict vertical program. It was just jumping here, we're doing strength work here, we're doing sprint work there. And they all improved by like four to five inches. And it's like, that is the type of vertical growth that I want to see. And they're not basketball players and they're goal like, so if we were going to spend that amount of time increasing their vertical jump just by straight focusing on it, and then we got five inches, that would mean less to me than what it did. Whereas, like you said, that byproduct of we're working on all these aspects and that vertical jump is going up and you're getting better at your sport, which is kind of our goal. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, so, yeah, what I would say, because people, I was like, we talk about a lot about lifting. Like, that's what we do. We lift, and that's how we got our vertical jump up. Like, if we didn't lift what we lifted right now, we would not jump as high. But there are people out there who never need to touch a weight, and they, they jump higher than us. You know? <laughs> yeah. um, so, like, you have the genetic, the net genetic freaks that never need it. You know? but, uh, but the kids messaging us need it, because clearly they suck. If they're, genetic, <laughs> if they're a genetic freak, they don't even, like, don't even look at vertical jump training. You already have it, you know? Um, so it's like you're just in a, in a different boat. Like, you, you have to strength train. Um, and I mean, you can get into the like benefits, the, the muscle gets stronger, you increase force up, whatever. It's just like, really what you're doing is like your nervous system controls everything and you're giving yourself a forceful and powerful stimulus day after day after day. So it's like the whole thing of like, you could probably jump higher by getting your bench press up. Yeah. yeah. If you bench press 135 and then you bench press 315, you probably now can jump higher because your nervous system, because you're just a stronger organism. Um, but uh, yeah, the, that's just what it is, a stronger organism, because you have things within vertical jump, like potentiation, and I've trained like women's golfers who jump 12 inches, and then we go through a whole warm up and a potentiation thing, and then they jump 11 inches, you know, <laughs> they jump 10 inches, because they're just such poor human beings, that they just get tired, they just get tired. But for us, we go 30 inches, we do the potentiation, we get warm, more warmed up, now we go 34 inches, and we go 36 inches. But the people who really suck, it's like, you don't even deserve to, you don't even deserve a vertical jump program. Go and do like hours of sports every single day and then hit the weight room to give you that like forceful, powerful stimulus. But you can probably get that from sports. You might not even need lifting weights. Um, so it's just, if you just lack that stuff because you played video games when you were a kid your whole life, like you need to step back and do that. Um, but but it, it's, it's a whole thing of like, you can't, you can't warn people of like, you need to squat this much for your knee health. Right. You need to manage volume this way. What you should do is jump a ton and hurt your knees and then figure it out from there. You know, you have to figure it out for yourself because everyone's a little bit different. Some people can handle 500 jumps a week. Um, some people can handle 50 and their knees are blown up. But how can you ever know until you push it? 
Um, so it's like there, there is never one specific recipe of you need to do this, these amount of things. It's like if you really want to jump high, you're going to figure it out yourself. You're going to buy a bunch of programs. You're going to try everything out. And over the years, it's going to take years, you're going to jump high. I think Al and I, we always, in high school basketball, always wanted to jump high. And we did programs, and it's like year after year, you still don't jump high, you know? But now, <laughs> now like little a, games, though. Yeah, little games, but now it's like a decade later, it's easy. But it yep. took a decade, you know? It took five, six, seven, eight, nine years. And it's like, now it's, now it's easy. But it just takes so much time to, like, change your physiology to that point. Or your physiology to that point. Well, that dunking background, too, is something that you, you guys bring up a lot. And it's like, you can see it. Like, when I go to dunk and you guys go to dunk, it's like, you can tell who has a dunking background and who doesn't. It, like, the fluidity piece. Yeah, and that, lock it that's too, like, it's like, still, you know. It's yeah. Like, yeah, it's like, if I try and go, like, left-handed or, you know, do something, like, I'm not used to it, it just looks awkward as hell and I, like, don't get nearly as high. Mm -hmm. It's and like, once you get used to it, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah it's a total skill. Yeah. And let's say, so, Al, if you were going to Zercher, like, what, what would your max Zercher be if you were going to Zercher uh, squat? Not even 315. Yeah, so, and we have, we had Locke and bust out, like, a 40, uh, 405 Zercher. Well, 405. Right around 405 <laughs> Zercher today. So then you, you look at the, and you have different, different lengths yeah. of the body, too, but it's like the kind of the art of dunking too and that huge background. You have, you have a bunch of output in Locken's body and you see it in a lot of the sports. It's very twitchy and you have, you have ability, but if that's not drawn into the specific aspect of what you want. So that's something that I'm interested in like hearing your guys' thoughts. When, when is the time to make it specific? Cause you guys both sell vertical jump programs too. It's like, when do you know you have a strong enough organism? Like I would say Locken probably a strong enough organism. If he wanted to focus on jumping, then you would go straight dunking. And that's what Jake, when you told me when I was trying to dunk, it's like, I'm like, Jake, what do I do? He's like, go fucking dunk more. It's like, when do you know that's the point? Is it just like looking at it and be like, all right, that you're able to do enough? Or how do you, how do you transition that? Probably is a lot of eye test. I mean, there's no number. Like Jake said, everybody's different. Um, there's going to be a lot of individual differences between people. It's going to be a lot, a lot of the eye test, like what your background is. If you've played a lot of sports your entire life, you're objectively strong through the eye test um, and you like you like I said earlier you can produce a lot of outputs in a lot of different ways or high outputs in a lot of a lot of different ways then you can probably start worrying about it and I don't think you need any sort of metric to figure that out just watch someone watch someone do something that they're good at and then you can say all right you're probably good enough to start working in these other areas yeah, it's uh um yeah, I had uh, Isaiah Rivera on my podcast, like mm -hmm. one of the pro dunkers right now. He's like one thing he said was like you could every single pro dunker nowadays, if you could count the amount of jumps they did in their lifetime, it would be way higher than everyone else. But jumping kills your knees, so you have to stay healthy enough to, to, to jump. So a lot of those guys are pretty much anyone who's an amazing athlete. I guess you can see that in a lot of sports, but the, the dunkers had a background of a ton of different sports. So um yeah, they, they, I don't know. They just built up. Maybe it's. Maybe, I don't know what that is. Maybe that's a lot of the the ankles getting developed through the elastic volume, thousands of contacts over and over, versus someone who just does a specific vertical jump program and doesn't develop their ankles because they do three sets of ten calf raises instead of a million reps of uh, elastic contacts. I don't know what it is, but it's like you need to be able to withstand the. If if it is one million jump max effort jumps attempts, you need to be able to withstand it. And if your organism sucks, you will not withstand it. You'll just get injured. Um, so the things that help that are strength, the things that help that are multiple sports as a kid. Um, but it's going to be a ton of jump attempts week after week after week, and you have to be able to withstand it. And branching off from there, because this is something I've been having conversations with in the DMs and people asking about, is like, 
those three sets of 10 jump attempts or the five sets of three you see jump attempts and those max effort jumps you have in the gym, how do you compare that to like an hour of dunking where you're getting that massive volume? How do you guys kind of balance that out in a sense of in the weight room, like it's like you're working on different force velocity curves of it and you're, you're playing with that aspect of it in the dunk. But you also like, if you look at, I, I took the offensive lineman out and we dunked on like a seven foot rim and it's like, they are, for them, they were jumping way higher than when I tell them to jump in the weight room. Is it like, how, how do you guys balance that? Because you, you, in the weight room, you want to work that whole force velocity curve and you can't really do that just on the basketball court. But you also have the intense aspect that is there with basketball and the volume aspect that is there with basketball. How are you guys balancing out or how do you guys think about that? Yeah, I think so much of it is bullshit. Um, so, so, so much of like the program design that you're taught through the NFCA, uh, your exercise physiology textbooks, um, it's all bullshit. Like, if you're thinking about, I've heard you use the term leveling up the organism. If you just want to level up the organism, just stress and stress and stress and stress. And if that's an hour of jumping, that's going to be better than three sets of 10. But we always see like three sets of 10, three sets of five, two sets of eight, whatever it is. And a lot of times that's probably just underdosing. Um, like you're going to get a hell of a stimulus, like what we just did earlier, just going and playing basketball for three hours between games, getting some dunk, dunk attempts up. Um, that's gonna be a much more productive and effective stimulus for you if you wanna learn to jump higher, produce higher outputs or dunk, um, than going through some structured program of three sets of five box jumps, three sets of three depth jumps, or whatever the program is. Um, it's, it's all about just, like you've said, Austin, and I just mentioned, leveling up the organism and I think we can push ourselves as an organism a lot harder than what textbooks say, than what the NFCA says, than what uh, just like the conventional wisdom of our field says. And branching on that then, so you, you have a football team, let's say football yeah. team you're working with, you have them in the weight room. Are you implementing the jumps then with them and like some of that aspect or is it is it then focusing on, because this is something I struggle with too, is like, a, yeah, sometimes I'll bring them out and dunk, but then sometimes it's like I want to maybe French contrast or something like that. Um, in the weight room then, are you trying to find a way to focus on intent with those jumps if you are going to program a five sets of three, or have you completely changed that and you just don't and you have them focus on a different aspect of the jump side of things with the, with the football athletes? That's something I've struggled with because obviously I work in a college setting. Things have to be formal in some way. They have to be structured in some way. Um, so, I, yeah, I don't have an answer for that. Um, I mean, sometimes instead of programming sets and reps, I'll program like 12 minutes mm -hmm. and I say, get as many good attempts in as you can. Um, sometimes that works, but sometimes I do, like I have to program three by six or whatever it is yeah. just due to the logistics of the way things work in the college setting. So um, yeah, what, whatever works for you in your situation, but I don't really have a good answer for that. Yeah, I would say, dude, it's probably gotta be like, uh, we were talking about jumpers in earlier, about yeah. like the my jumpers in protocol, and like there are pieces of biomechanics or the ankles that I like kind of not not that I miss, but I need to go back and update. And but I was like, you know what? It's gonna work for most people because most people who get jumpers are basketball players, and they play hours of basketball, and they, they never lift. touch a weight. You know, they never lift. So it's like, what are you missing? And what we just did is is three hours of whatever, three hours of basketball, dunk attempts mix in. But if you do that seven days a week, you don't need more of that. 
you know, you should probably do the structured things. You should, if you want to jump higher, you should get in and do the structured things. So it's like, what are you missing? If you're just getting that, if you're getting the dunk stimulus over and over and over, and it's just the same thing, it's like the whole idea that your brain just gets bored with the same thing. So it's like giving you some variation, and maybe that would be a max effort jump, a jump attempts. But I think what you miss when you're doing the weight room stuff is like, versus dunking is like the, uh, how stimulating it is on your brain. The yeah. dunking, oh, the live yeah. environment, so stimulating on your brain, and you get in the weight room, and it's like, all right, three sets of five, and it's like <laughs> you're just moving your body. There's no brain involvement. There's nothing you have to react to. There's like very little vision and vestibular influence. So it's like, I think, I think you can get less volume because you can get 15 jumps in there and might be sore from it, or you go dunk and you get 100 dunks and you're the same level of soreness. I don't know why. Is yeah. because the brain is more involved, and when you get the brain involved, then you can actually push through pain harder or get more volume. I mean, I don't know what it is, but I think I think kind of that answer is like, if you're already doing something for hours every single week, you probably don't need more yeah. of it. If you want to increase your vertical jump and you're playing three hours of pickup every single day and you're dunking between things, you don't need more of that. You need to go and lift weights and you probably need to do more of the structured plyometrics to get some different kind of stimulus. Yeah, and you got a meathead like me where it was like, it was the exact opposite route. It's like you have the whole football CSCS background of everything is structured. You, you've built up the structure, that part's great, and you suck ass at anything that's like, chaos based, organized, like unorganized. And that's where it's working with those athletes and you, you, in the football, in basketball world, you, it's, it's kind of fun. And when I look at it anyways, this is how I see it. It's like basketball world, you, you have, they, they're phenomenal at the, the chaos part and have no structure. In the football world, it's so structured and they, they have this entire background and everybody loves the weight room because it's where they thrive. And then many of them, you put them on the field and there's some special athletes. There's some special athletes that'll step on the field and they're freaks. but. You put them in an uncomfortable situation on the field of where they're supposed to play their sport and it's not what they have a PhD in. They have a PhD in their barbell and that's where I kind of, it's like kind of branching off and then maybe we can take that down kind of your Elon approach and how you're working with that with football, but it's like trying to work on the other side of that. Like how do you, how do you add more influence into or more chaos into that maybe if we take it out of the basketball world into that kind of football world and making sure we're not on the two structured side. So basketball world is the two, two chaos side and football is kind of the two structured side. Yeah, I mean, like I can even relate to that like as a college football player too. Like you lived and died in the weight room. Like that, that's where you kind of made your money in regards to the coaching staff or tried to find your playing time and then you get on the field and like everything just moves super fast, right? And you're like, why is it so fast? Like I'm stronger, I'm faster. Like why is everything moving so fast? Um, and I would say like, yeah, that's kind of where the popularity right now of like small-sided games is really coming in and kind of like adding that chaos in a controlled environment for like particular like football individuals, uh, especially like, you know, interior guys or bigs or outside backs or whoever else because like working in space is completely different when you got five guys moving that you need to be reading as well. And if you don't train that aspect of it, you're going to suck when it comes to the time that you actually have to be good. Like it's great that you squatted, you know, 550 or whatever. I mean, like that's cool, but at the end of the day, it doesn't particularly matter when you get onto the game field if you can't put yourself in the right position and make the plays or read the, the plays that you're supposed to and like be a tactical, tactician aspect of it and like be skillful. And if you don't do that, I mean, I don't think you see playing time. Well, and that's something that I think we saw kind of firsthand in our 5v5 basketball with Will and Al. It's like, Two guys that see the sport, you talk about speed, like see the, see the game at a different speed than everybody else. Like probably a bunch of guys with the same, like similar types of outputs on that field. Like you have stronger guys and then weaker guys, but it's like similar outputs 
and the biggest difference was that perception. Like, Will, you're, you're tossing some of those passes in there that, like, uh, <laughs> Jared wasn't even looking for it. Like, you know, like, <laughs> and he's a soccer player, first time on, and he has a lot of outputs, but it's like, he wasn't even seeing what you saw, you know, same thing with Al. It's like you're setting stuff up on that field and it's kind of playing and that, that's something I was interested in. I was just watching you guys move when we were playing. I probably should have been defending better, but it's like <laughs> <laughs> watching that. It's like you, get, you guys are seeing this at a different speed and I'm just running around everything. I'm like, holy shit, like it's fast, fast, fast. And trying to get to that ability of like slowing things down and how do we work on that? Well, I mean, I think it just kind of like goes off of Jake's point, though. Like, if you're in the weight room lifting weight, like, your brain is not necessarily involved, right? But if I'm out playing a sport and I have to read a defender who's then reading two other guys or three other guys with the ball, like, that aspect of, like, perceiving you and then I have to go do another task, like, if that's not trained and, you know, like, that's stuff that Elon does and that's stuff that I've learned from them, like, that perception aspect of things, like, that's where the game is at. You know, if I'm defending you but you make a cut because of the ball, but, like, I've never been in that situation before, like, you're going to make the cut and score the basket every day of the week. And it's not going to be good for whoever's defending that can't keep up, you know. And drawing that back, so we have – we know these guys need an output base. uh, And we know, as we're talking about this, like, the weight room isn't as stimulating – Practically, are you guys doing anything to try and stimulate in the weight room or are you just trying to have that conversation with them and be like, hey guys, like this isn't going to be as stimulating. You're just going to have to do it to build the foundation and having that conversation and just being, I can see Jake being probably brutally honest and like, hey guys, you just have to do this like <laughs> one by 20. Or is there a way to make the weight room more stimulating in a sense of, so they want to be there or they're, they're involved a little bit more so you can get some of those output base. Because like we talked about, like, you do have to build up that output side. If you don't have that output side, again, you're missing a whole half of the piece, like half the puzzle. Basketball guys just don't want to lift. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they don't. Do you train men's or women's? Men's. Men's? So what, what, talk about that. Like, what do yeah. you see? Well, Because here's what, I, here's what I, my opinion yeah. is. Like, these college basketball guys, probably forced by coach, which is not good. Um, they, they should have to do it. They should just do it on their own. Like two, three hours of basketball, they might play every single day. And it's like, they're getting, they're getting all of this stimulation. They're getting all of that volume of foot contacts, of the specific jumping and everything. And it's like, they're, if they're not getting the weight room stuff, it's like maybe that's what they're missing. If, if the goal was vertical jump, maybe that's what they're missing. And you just need to get them in the weight room and do five by five squats. And yeah. add 25 pounds, right? That's right. <laughs> Before the season starts. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no. Um, well, so the guys I work with, they play seven days a week. And they'll play like we just played for three hours, seven days a week, because they'll practice two hours or three, whatever it is. And then they'll come and lift after, they'll lift before. And then um, when they're done, they'll go play pickup some more for another hour. Um, And so I don't really pro, I don't periodize for them. Um, All I do is I try to give them some sort of strength stimulus, some sort of like volume quote unquote volume stimulus so they have that armor building um, so to speak and I don't really worry about all the other stuff because they get everything they need they get the conditioning Uh, they get everything they need from basketball except for like Jake said strength training and that's really just for health reasons Um, and sure maybe some of it will help them um, in some way perform on the court Um, but I don't really care about any of that and I think they know that, and I th- but in a good way, like yeah. it, helps, it helps create some of that buy-in because I'm not going to force them to do some shit in the weight room that they don't want to do or 
I guess a better way to put it, I'm not gonna have them do something in the weight room just because. Like there's going to be a reason and we keep the list short. Um, and I, I do think I explain that to them. Um, like, hey, we're gonna hit, I want you to hit work up to a heavy set of three on a trap bar. Just get there and once you feel like you get there, move on to the next thing. Um, and I don't really care about, I don't wanna say I don't care because that sounds bad, but for lack of a better term, I don't really care what numbers they're hitting in there. I just want them to stress themselves in a way that's going to, so to speak, level up their, their organism. And that's really all I care about. Um, I don't periodize anything. Um, and shit, during the season, I make it up on the spot, usually, the lift, because um, they would lift after practice. So I'd ask them how practice would, would go. And if it was two and a half hours on the court and their coach like destroys them if he's mad at them and makes <laughs> them run a ton and you just have to work with it. Uh, I don't even know if I answered the question, but like, like I said, I don't, I think most of what we're taught is bullshit by the NSCA, CSCS, all that stuff. Cause it's not, it's not practical. It's not real life. It doesn't take into account the athlete's mentality. Like Jake said, they don't want to lift. Most of them don't want to <laughs> lift. It's true. Um, and so you just say like, I tell them, I know you guys don't want to do this. Just do what you need to do um, in here to get that specific stress that I want you to get. And I think it works out pretty well for the most part. And I want to take that. So you, you have that basketball background where they're able to and maybe more willing to. And this one's something I'm, I've been struggling with trying to figure out. They're either able to or more willing to practice their sport for that many hours. You know, And trying to apply that to the main listeners of this podcast and main athletes that we work with, which is football athletes. And it's like part of it is like football, you're not able to really do full contact for football for three hours. Like you're going to kill somebody. Yeah. Uh, like you won't survive. But it's all, it's, you also have the, like, are you unwilling to, too? Like it's not maybe as fun to go play football. And it's also tougher to, you have to get 22 guys. Right. You can play three, like we did today, four and four pickup basketball. Like you guys can do that. With your working with basketball and just having your football background, what are your kind of thoughts on how do we get, them to do this more in football you know like so you don't work on the because you see the football side it's like they don't they don't play their sport enough so then we have to condition them you talk yeah. about conditioning and a lot of our conditioning aspects are shit like it's like all right they're yeah, required so to move somebody and perceive all this stuff catch a ball run it this time and we'll fucking run gassers or uh one of the like a big school that we work with like they work on 110 fucking um uh 110 shuttles it's like what are we doing like that is not so where basketball, they get the conditioning in, they get all those skills aspects in. How how do we kind of tie, is it making practice better in football? Is it working, is it just the small side of games? And that's, or is the small side of games kind of a plug and play of what we're trying to do right now? And really the long-term fix is fixing practice itself. So it's not crappy or shitty time. And they, they look forward to going to practice, which in basketball looks, and maybe not looking forward to going to practice, but like you said, they'll, they'll play pickup by themselves. Yeah, shit, I don't know. I mean, like I said, most of what we are taught is bullshit. I, I don't think the traditional conditioning for football usually is the best way to go. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, someone else can chime in here. I, well, I don't have I, an I, don't, I don't have like any experience with football, but don't they play a lot of pickup basketball in off season? Football not, the guy, yeah. not, not the guys that I've oh, worked with. Yeah. I thought that was like a big thing or it's not. Uh, I mean, some, the skill guys will. The skill guys yeah. Big guys, yeah, not yeah, so much. Big guys, not so much. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but that probably would be a pretty good conditioning for him, wouldn't it? Yeah. 
Uh, or like like grappling. That's you know. I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna plug Elon, but that's one of the things that they do. Like having guys grapple. I don't know if you guys have like actually like wrestled hard or, or grappled for like 20 seconds. Like you're smoked, and you do it 15 times in a row. Like I don't know if you guys ever wrestled, but coming from a wrestling background for seven years, like. You get crushed, you know. I mean, a minute of going as hard as you can against somebody else that's 240, 250, or, you know, big guys, 300, 330, like, pushing another human being that's 330 pounds that's pushing against you, like, you're going to be fatigued, you're going to get some conditioning in, and it's going to work you. Like, you're going to be pretty freaking crushed after that. In a good way, in a positive way, and something that can benefit to that particular sport. And that, that's, so, and that's, so we implement, we implement grappling with the open strength athletes. We do the small side games and the one, like, I just been struggling with the thought process of like, is this a stopgap? You know, like, cause we, we can prepare them for that moment. I love all that stuff, but it's like, it feels like we're missing it. Like bat Maybe we can't get to the point where it's like basketball, where they're going to go play pick. Cause you're like, you're not, you're not going to go get guys to go grapple by themselves. Like I, I tell my bigs to do it and they're like, you motherfucker, like yeah, you got to grapple yeah, today. Like yeah. you're kidding me. You're not going to get guys to put pads on you. You're not going to get guys like, so like, yeah. That that's where it, the struggle is. It changing like how we practice. You you they'll sure. they'll go play the small side of games, man. Absolutely. Like they love all that day. all yeah. day yeah. in the three v three. So that's maybe just something I'm struggling with. Is like, do we is that how we change football practice to make football practice? It's less like with the strength coaches you're doing these small side of games, but in the football practice yeah. itself you're you're doing small side of games. You're working on these things, um, and maybe part of it's enjoyable. So then they're gonna go work on their skills themselves rather than, and and if, if you know the football world, it's like. They'll do output, 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 and the only time they ever work on their skill is in season. Yeah. And then usually most late. of that skill development is ass. Like the practices aren't good. You'll, you'll work fluff. on you'll work on, exactly. You work on footsteps. Yeah. Like and it's like <laughs> that's not skill. You're not learning a skill, yeah. and yeah. you're learning the schemes. The, the, usually it's phenomenal. Like sure. how you learn the schemes, you master the schemes. You're working on that. You understand where you're supposed to be, why you're supposed to be. But actual skill acquisition of the sport itself. In basketball, it'd be like working on your shot, working on a dunk, something like that. Whereas football, it's like working on a pass rush move, working on a release. And it's like a lot of that is... Hand placement. Yeah, and trying to get them to work on that and trying to build up those skills rather than like forcing it. But I mean, I mean, so like, I, I would recommend for football athletes, like in your offseason, go play other sports too. Like go play basketball, go yeah. play softball, go like go be an athlete outside of the realm of football particularly yeah like like multi-sport athletes are because we just talked about earlier about like moving in different planes and doing things in different like styles of motion and finesse and dunking and like that's all skill acquisition like go learn a new skill it may not directly impact your sport but like you may just become a better overall athlete and work different systems of your body that can potentially help you on the field of play yeah, like Steve Nash, he didn't even touch a basketball in the offseason. He'd like go skateboard and play soccer. Yeah. Like, he was just a boss. Like, and he was pretty fucking good. Yeah. 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 So you have that aspect. Yeah. And that, that's, uh, we brought up the grappling, but um, something that's, um, not Muay Thai, but what? Uh, Jiu Jitsu. Jiu Jitsu, yeah. That's been a huge one with our, uh, one of our defensive linemen did it for like an offseason and then he's brought like four or five. And 
like some aspects, like some of it's like you're getting better at jujitsu, sure. not football itself, but it's like it's also the leveling up the organism of you learning how to move a body, you're learning how to do those things. And that's been something cool to watch. It's like some of the things that they bring back from that and some of the body control they bring back from it. It's like, and they'll do it. It's weird because like you, if you tell them to go grapple, they're not going to go grapple, but they, they've got a good group to go play or go play jujitsu. Go, <laughs> do you go jujitsu? Yeah, you go do jujitsu. Go beat the shit out of another human yeah. and like you get in that sport aspect and it's competitive in a sense of like some foundation behind it and it means something to them that's been something that's been cool so maybe that's implementing things like that yeah, 100%. and it's humbling like okay we're big men here like we could get our asses kicked by Absolutely. somebody that's 150 pounds right like that's a humbling experience and it's not fun and your ego definitely takes a, a, a hit but to the point earlier of like being soft like if you don't want to be soft like go wrestle with another individual and get worked on. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, like, from a mental standpoint, though, like, if you've wrestled, if you did any sort of, like, jiu-jitsu work or anything like that, like, you become mentally, like, tougher, too, which is an aspect of a game that, like, could potentially help athletes become better on the field of play. Well, in that wrestling background, too, that was the biggest eye-opener and what got me thinking is we had, um, we had, a, he was going to the Olympic trials, and I think he was 160 pounds. He was lifting with us, and he was showing me some of his pickup techniques. And the way he, I'm 230, the way he picked me up, it was like I weighed nothing to him. I was like, holy fuck, like that is different. Like if you have a football guy that is able to do stuff like that, and that's when I was like, man, we need to be stealing some of the stuff because that strength, and you, he would go squat. I think his max squat was maybe like 225, you know, like maybe 225. And again, that goes back to the kind of engagement part is like when he's doing strength training in the wrestling room, it's because there's a goal behind it. There's an investment behind it. There's so much stimulation there and he's, picking huge human beings up and he picked me up like as a bag of feathers and then it goes to less weight on the bar and you're squatting it and he can't do it so i think that that's another part is working on those kind of things so locking needs to search your 700 and you might right. dunk or you can just clean up <laughs> or, or or just clean up your awful technique which is I think it's probably that it's just that locking's double jump before you broad jump Maybe the worst I've ever seen. <laughs> and I'm in the room, too. That's, that's, saying, that's saying something. Yeah, that's fair, though. Just be, it's because that basketball and dunking has not been a part of my life until like the past few months. And that's so, even though I can squat a good amount of weight and I can run around and play sports, that doesn't mean that I'm any good at dunking. This is the same thing we've been saying this whole night. But just that you have to practice the skill, and that skill has to be important to you. And I want to go back to... What Will said earlier, I think, about why do you want to improve your vertical jump or why do, you want to, why do you want to improve this skill? And that just means it has to, the goal that you're thinking of has to be important to you and actually matter to your life. Like if you're just DMing a guy on Instagram saying, how can I get faster in two weeks? Like, is it really that important to you if you only have two weeks to focus on this? Like the way that we're, that we're talking about, the, the way that we've been able to jump high or squat heavy or just be good at things is that it takes consistency in years. And in order to do that for years you have to enjoy it you have to want it and see the purpose in it outside of i want to jump higher so i can jump higher it has to be outside some bigger reason yeah exactly and so we were, uh, austin and i were talking with uh, jared this morning about just getting good at one exercise is not going to make you good on the field like we've said this, this whole night but um and so if you're just focusing on the output and output and output and not really looking at the underlying meaning of why this actually matters to you, you're not going to have that consistency because you're not going to have 
the, the motivation really just to actually practice it. And so, and also I think Jake was talking about it a bit with the, the brain aspect of weight room versus uh, sport and play that um, if, the, if the sport is more like engaging and fun, you're gonna wanna do it more, you're actually practicing more and jumping in a weight room isn't that fun. And so I, I think it's really important to think about the meaning and then finding the joy and fun in it because that's what's actually gonna last and that's where you're gonna find the consistency that's gonna bring results in the end so well and that's yeah. you branch out and that's why i wanted to bring up a little bit is like how do you do that in the weight room because the the technical part of it is like when we brought out the chalk that one day to do broad jumps yeah you know it's like you bring out a fucking piece of chalk and then you get like their their, their first couple sets i was just having them learn the movement it was a seated broad jump and just getting used to it we're on gravel so they don't fucking eat shit when we start measuring but you bring out the chalk and it's literally d'angelo uh, one of our athletes literally went like a foot and a half farther off <laughs> you bring out a chalk it's we're like all right we're wearing work boots, yeah. yeah. And it's like, all right, so that chalk, that engagement, like that's how much that changes. It's like five sets of three without the chalk, is you're jumping like nothing. and Or what they perceive, like, and they were still jumping because they're still kind of competing with each other, but there's no like big marker, anything that popped up with them. But then you actually mark their spot. Yeah, I've seen, I think Elon, do you have the tennis balls? Have I seen that? You have yeah. the tennis balls. Yeah. It's like, then the, like the brain comes in and it's way more involvement and I just that just brought it up but I want to branch out with Locken you, you we're in your weight room right now you, you're training this hockey team yeah. you, you're the youngest in the room by six years for the next closest person names on the board the strength board in here and you're, you're pretty fresh in this uh, I'm interested so you're in this world now what has been kind of the biggest game changers of just watching your own program and watching your own development of you have the big foundation, but the, like the dunking piece, like you're missing that. And now you're training these hockey athletes that very specific, hockey is a very specific sport. It's like they, they do their sport over and over and over again and probably not much else. How are you implementing some of the lessons and some of the eye openers and changing it from what you kind of had growing up? Yeah, sure. So I have a, I feel like I have a pretty similar background to you, Austin, and how, and how I learned about strength training and training outside of sport in that I wanted, when I was growing up, I wanted to get better at hockey. So I trained outside of hockey a ton and didn't really get that much better at hockey. And so now, as I'm working with hockey guys who are kind of in the same position I was years ago, is I'm really, really seeing just how little training matters and how much sport matters so much more. And that if we can't really make them faster on the ice from the weight room or just better on the ice, we can't really do that in the weight room. We might as well focus more on maybe the mental side of like, how can we make these guys more confident in themselves or see the necessity for some kind of work outside of the rink. And so I think that's what I've been working with uh, a lot this summer with the, with the guys from the hockey team is how can we give these guys some hope in themselves that they can do better things with their lives than, rather than just focusing on getting better at hockey. Because that's such a small part of life that if we can give them some bigger meaning of why does hockey matter to you, then that's going to transform not only their hockey experience, but just their life. And so... I've, I feel like I'm really trying to ex expand the boundaries of what strength and conditioning means in that when I was growing up and learning and reading books about training, it was so specific, but I think what I see, my maybe my purpose really, if you want to bring it that way, that I was talking to Austin about this earlier in the summer, that I, I'm trying to justify why I want to be a strength and conditioning coach is that why do I see the need for it in the world? And I think that's where I can where I'm going to try and make an impact, if you want to call it that, in that how can I connect training and sport as a whole to the experience of being a person and making, if you want to say, making the world better for other people. And so I think 
that's what I'm really trying to work on with the hockey guys in, in a short sentence. Is how, why does hockey matter? Why does training matter? How can you make your life matter, pretty much? And I, I like bring this up. So I think we have very, like what people call like woo-woo-y minds. Right, and like, right. I, I talk about that stuff all the time. Uh, and something I've been challenging myself to do is how do you, like, how, what does that mean practically? And maybe it's not as practical, but what does that mean practically for you? How are you applying that to your training practically? Is it, I don't want to take, but maybe it's the ISOs and getting that mental aspect and training it that way. But um, I just know myself, like I would dive into that rabbit hole with you and talk about the boobie, but you have somebody listening. What does that mean to them sure. practically? How do we implement some of these things practically? How do we bring up these lessons practically? So I think two, two main ways you can apply this just tomorrow is that First, like ice, as you just mentioned, that's a great way to dive into the, the what your mind, where your mind goes to when you face with adversity. So just doing any kind of long duration ISO hold, that's gonna that's gonna change the way you think. And then second is creativity. It's not just doing three sets of five squats or anything like that. It can be like like you said, Will. Let's give them twelve minutes. Do work here. Find some position. One of my favorite exercises I've learned learned from Austin this summer is doing get-ups with a 100-pound sandbag. And he says, I want you to do three sets of eight sandbag get-ups. Find some new way to stand up with the, with the sandbag. Put it in a surgical position, put it behind your head, put it between your legs. Be creative with this. And so I think that's, that's where I see my training in the past has really lacked. And that's why I'm more of a weight room guy than a sport guy, is that I'm not super creative. And so I'm trying to bring that creativity into the weight room, is how can you make this it kind of goes back to having fun and how can you make training more fun? I think creativity and giving just free exploration, free time is a great way to do that. Yeah. And diving into those ISOs. So what, like you, you brought up ISOs and you made a post about it, but people listening to podcasts and they haven't read it. Like, well, why, why do those ISOs like you have Jake on like the expert in ISOs like physically uh, and you, you brought up it mentally. Um, and if you guys want to know physically, like why you should do ISOs, go DM Jake and ask him just ISOs. <laughs> just thoughts. ask him for a response. ISOs thoughts. <laughs> and just yeah, tell him you have knee pain <laughs> and you ask him if an ISO lunge will fix it. Um, so go there, go to his page first, all three of them. Uh, uh, but <laughs> but um, what mentally, like why, why mentally? Like what, sure. what does that do for him mentally? Yeah, for sure. So I think ISOs are such a different kind of exercise than anything else in that you have, if, if we're talking about solely long duration ISO holds, not anything loaded, really not anything where you're pushing against uh, something else. It's just hold a lunge for five minutes, that kind of ISO. I think that's so different than a squat or a jump or a sprint or even sport really in that you have time to focus on the way your body is holding or moving or feeling that you don't have time for when you're doing a 500 pound squat. You cannot think about what your feet are doing while you have weight on your back because you're gonna die if you're just only thinking about what your big toe is doing in that moment. But with an ISO, you have time to, I sometimes I, I, I think of it almost as meditation, it's just really painful because, because it sucks, but um, you have the time to think about how your body's moving. So that's, I think that's one part that I really like. And then also I mentioned this briefly earlier is that ISOs give you the opportunity to see where your mind goes when it's faced with some kind of challenge. and. I know it's such, it's such a small uh, problem compared to like maybe a bigger life problem, like an emotional problem or a mental problem or something that actually matters in life where holding a lunge and a quad hurting, it doesn't matter, but it does give you the opportunity to practice how you think about problems and adversity and challenges. 
And so with that, I, I made a post about this earlier that um, I see two really common ways that I deal with isometrics and that other people who I talk to deal with them is that the first one is you kind of zone out and try and take your mind outside of your body and just try and forget that you're holding it so you can go longer and that you kind of forget about the pain. And the second one is where you try and focus on that pain as much as you can and try and find, I, I like to think of it finding comfort in it or finding some kind of, and I want to bring it back to the meaning because once you find the comfort, that's where you're going to remember what that meaning is. And so I think that might be, I, I said earlier on that post that I don't know which one is better, but thinking about it now, the second one is definitely better if you want to practice training your mind and where your mind goes. So when you're doing an isometric, just try and focus on where exactly it hurts, find that comfort, find the meaning, and then I think that's the key to find, yeah, that's the key to it. And I want to branch off from that and open it up to you guys because this is a question I've been struggling with. And I asked Lachlan when he did his uh, um, presentation on ISOs for us. But it's you talk about the body awareness piece. Uh, Austin Einhorn and a couple other of his uh, heroes guys have come on and talked about body awareness. And one thing I struggle with is you want to be aware of your body and like be an athlete and that's part of it. Like you want to know where your body is and you you have athletes that like you can see. It's like you talk about the, the video you showed us, those kids just tripping and like eating shit. It's like, all right, you need to learn how to control your body and know it. But you also have the other aspect of like the hyper aware athlete. And it's like, they're so aware of their body, they're fucking robots. It's like, I have a couple of them. It's like the train, same, they all come from the same training center. They all, I know they train. so. I know they train at the same spot just by watching them run for the first time because it's like they're thinking of every single position, asking the same questions and moving the same way. It's like that's not how you're fucking supposed to move. Like you're moving like a robot, man. Somebody told you to move that way. How do you guys kind of balance like that body awareness piece, learning where your body is, understanding it, having thought process behind that and the just being an athlete dissociate from that because like when you're when you're making a move in basketball and football, like, you shouldn't be thinking about positions. but you should have the ability to understand where your body is. Like where, where, where your guys' brains go there. I figure I'll open that up to you guys. Yeah, I don't have an answer, but when I see someone that I work with who's, who looks like a robot or who can't figure out a way to like self-organize to um, accomplish some sort of task, a lot of times I just say, be athletic, figure it out. <laughs> be an athlete. Like, yeah, <laughs> I love when I give that cue. Like, I just love, figure it out. Like, just go figure it out. Um, and usually that kind of works. You let them, watch them struggle, and you can't cue, like, cue their body positions all the time, and, like, it just doesn't work. It really doesn't work a lot of times, especially when you are trying to do something that's dynamic and um, relies on that perception act action component. It just doesn't work. Just go figure it out. Be more athletic than what you're, than what you're being right now. And it... It usually works better than any sort of cue, in my opinion, at least. Well, that's true, too, because those same athletes, it's, and maybe you have a different experience, but they always look to you. Like, they'll do yeah, something, exactly. and yeah. like, like, looking for improvement, thumb up, thumb down. And, like, the biggest thing is, like, unprogramming them out of that by either ignoring that look. Like, that's that's been a big part is, like, yeah, having a conversation. It's like, oh, I was looking for you for fee. It's like, yeah, I know. Like, fucking ignored you. Like, you figure it out, like you said. Like, it's going to be the only way that you learn that piece of it. And they've always been told like, oh, I need, I need advice, I need a cue. Um, but like unprogramming that aspect of them is the best thing you can do for them athletically. Like as a coach, it's like, 
giving them more cues is going to fuck them up even more with those athletes. It's, it's ignoring them and making them figure it out themselves rather than giving them another. And that's, that's another piece of it. It's like all these, I should, I, I'm, a, I'm a private trainer too, but it's like all these kids come from private trainers and like as a private trainer, it feels like you, you want to give your worth. So you want to give a cue. You want to give a piece of candy to that kid. You want to teach them the right thing. And it's like, all right, that's, you're just fucking that kid up, you know? And so like that, that, cause that's where I try to see the other side of it is like, why, why are they training these kids like robots? Cause that kid's coming to pay you and you want to feel like you're fucking important. I think that's part of it is like, you want to feel like you have the answers. And it's like, you don't have the answers, man. Like that kid has the answers within his own body. Like your answers that you think you have are not solving that kid's problem. Yeah. I think the, the best athletes like don't think they're not much, you know, but like some of that comes from. Like, you've, you've done the movement so many times. Like, if you're in a game and you're like, all right, I'm going to, like, do this, and then I'm going to do that. Like, it's too late. Like, you just have to be automatic. But, like, a lot of that comes from, like, in practice. Like, you you figure out the movements in, like, like half speed or something. Like, until you, until you can do it just, like, automatic. Like, there's there's certain cues that are good, you know, like, you know, like, push off from your back foot. Like, if you're playing basketball, like, you should play defense a certain way. Like, you shouldn't be shuffling your feet, you know. You should be, like, defensive stance, like, sliding your feet. But like, yeah, if you're like, if you're like giving a kid like a million cues, like you're just gonna mess them up. Like maybe like to give them like one cue to like focus on, you know, like one small thing. But yeah, like if you just like overload them, like it, it's not gonna do them any good. Like that's how I was playing basketball today. I was thinking, like, every. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I, I would see Jake with the ball up, up up at the top, and I'd be like, "All right, I'm gonna go to the hoop. I'm gonna catch it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and do a lift." And like, I was terrible. I didn't. Really <laughs> I play basketball day. That's because I haven't practiced that sport. And like Will said, like be an athlete. That means go and actually be an athlete. Go play sports. And once you get rid of all of the instruction and structure and organization, that's where you find how to be an athlete. How do you? be a human really and so I, I mean yeah that's a perfect example today of how I was playing versus how you were playing because you have played the sport your whole life you know how to do it because you're an athlete so yeah. <laughs> way to be an athlete yeah. Yeah. well and yeah and it's a sport I play like put me in like a, a sport that I don't play much like softball or something mm-hmm. like you know I'm gonna be like terrible like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but yeah it comes like it yeah like certain things like translate to other sports but like a lot of that's like you you figure out like how to, like you, you figure out what works, I guess. Like, like some things like, just can be cute. Some things like you just learn, like, like practicing yourself, and you like, you realize what works, and like, and then when times comes time to like do that, like your body just moves automatically. You don't have to think about it. And sometimes it's like watching the people you want to play like. Yeah, that like, too. Like, yeah, like if you have like, an athlete that's really rigid and they're running, and there's like someone that runs really well. It's like run like this guy. Yeah. Like they're fluid. Just mm-hmm. be fluid. You know. Like, as simple as that sounds, like, all I want you to focus on today is just be fluid. I don't really care about anything else, just be fluid. Like, we all watch whoever we want to mimic on the court, whether it's basketball, whether it's football, you name it. Like, everybody wants to be, like, Steph Curry or, you know, whatever the case may be. Like, you watch them hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times, like, you're going to start to pick up on some of their stuff and, like, kind of mimic it a little bit. Have your own finesse to it, but it's like, I want you to play like this guy. Like, watch him and try and replicate. Yeah, I mean that like the like the motor or the mirror neurons or whatever, sure. like that that definitely like plays a part and like and it goes back to like what you do on your own time too. Like you're in the gym, you're like, okay, I'm gonna like do this curry shot or something. You know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So that's like, all right, like I'll practice this shot like a few yeah. times. Like I can do that, you know. Yeah. Well, and that's a, the skill acquisition part that I'm interested in, and I, I the reason is like I'm putting myself through the slow pitch softball like 
ringer. And like people, hey, it's a stupid sport, silly sport, but the biggest thing for me is like learning a skill, learning like a, how, how do you hit a ball? Like I've never, I have never played baseball before. Like how do you hit a ball? How do you do it consistently? And that's like, I'm struggling like figuring out the best way to do it is you hear all these cue books, uh, you talk about external, internal cues, like your focus. And it's like in practice, you have these focuses, but then in a game, you have that focus, you're like taking yourself out of the flow state. I like, do you guys, when you guys are doing like uh, dunks, maybe it's a little bit different, it's maybe less technical, but there's a bunch of technique that goes into dunks. Like is practice one part of it? Like you're, you're fo you have a direct internal or external focus when you're practicing certain dunks, when you're practicing on a football field or whatever you're doing. And then a game, you just let that happen and you try to stay away from it. Or how, like, how are you guys working on that aspect? Um, no, but I wanna, I don't know. But when you said, <laughs> you said, but you said uh, having fun, and I was thinking about Will because you were saying to, earlier, like you have no one to play spike ball with and like run and stuff like that. Um, and in my case, like I just got done traveling and trying to do a dunk session alone just sucks. Yeah. Like if you're, yeah. gonna, if you're gonna try to learn how to hit a softball, you're gonna stand out there by yourself and hit softballs? No. It's not fun, it's yeah. not fun at all. Uh, like both of us, we do dunk sessions now together and we'll go three, four, five dunk sessions a week. But if we were not together, it might be one a week. Yeah. Because it's boring, this is not fun. Um, and you wouldn't, you wouldn't be dunking as good as you are. Yeah, yeah, it definitely helps that people yeah. around. Yeah, like we had eight guys there today, you know? Yeah. Verticals, everyone's jumping. Everyone's going to jump. I jump way <laughs> higher when I jump with you guys. It's not even close. Like, my, my output, if I were to go and dunk by myself, and I think that's even, like, it gets exaggerated when you're worse at the skill. Like, when I go and try and jump by myself, it's ass. Like, it's not even close. And, like, and it's, like, two people with you that you don't want to look like an idiot in front of. It's, yeah. like, it's so much better. Yeah. Um, but I don't, like, I wanted you to talk about that. How, like, you have no one to do this stuff with, so... Um, do you see that your, your dunk sessions just suck when you're by yourself? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I guess I'll just speak with my experience. So a lot of times, like in the winter, I'd play basketball on Wednesday nights and out of the 12 to 15, whoever shows up, there's usually four or five guys who can dunk. And so between games we would go dunk and it would be all good. It'd be fun. Um, but then I try to go in on a Saturday or a Sunday and do the same thing. And it would take me 30 minutes to get re to get ready to dunk, and even after that, I'd miss my first 20 dunks because <laughs> I, I I just don't have like the motivation or the enthusiasm behind it. And like some days, obviously, I have good days, but um, yeah, it, it it sucks when you have to do something by yourself and you don't have some sort of competitive element with it, and. Yeah, I mean that's that's my two cents. I guess I don't really have much more to say. Yeah, it, it, I, I, yeah, I was just I was just aware of it recently because I'm like, um, my vertical sucks if I'm by myself. <laughs> it's yeah. awful, you know. And I don't I don't, I don't I know if that. it was like that when I was a kid when I was training to for, to jump higher. Um, I just don't know, but it's like I don't think you talk about the reason why you do something and you, you reach a certain level of success with something. But it's like, would I have done it like? if we didn't dunk my whole life? Or would I just give up and be like, this is stupid. I have no, I have no community around this. Yeah. You know, I think I can branch off on that because when I was trying for my first dunk, I, was, I would dunk for three hours by myself and be stupidly engaged. Like, stu it was, I started with spike ball. I'd literally dunk a spike ball for like three hours by myself. And I would be like, so engaged. I went I would to check the time and I'd be like, holy shit, dude, it's been three hours. Like, by myself, just doing that. And then when I got my first dunk, all of it went away. So it's like, like it's like I got the first one, 
And I was like, well, fuck. Like, <laughs> that when you got your first one, was it really easy to get the second one and the third one that same day? Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. it broke a little barrier for sure, yeah. um, running through. But then coming back, I think it was a couple days later, I went to, I'm like, okay, now I'm going to work on, like, doing something like a cooler dunk or something like that. And I went to go dunk and I was like, this sucks. Like, <laughs> I was like, this isn't fun anymore. So, like, you have that aspect too of, like, once you get to that goal, if it, there's not something driving you in that aspect, that was something. Because before it was alone and I was engaged and then I did it and now it's like, now it's dumb until I dunk with you guys again and then it, that, that super high elevation piece comes back. This might be a stretch, but maybe that does connect back to that, like nonlinear periodization. You're doing the same thing over and over; it gets boring. And you have, if you have new objectives and new goals constantly, where you can't really win the workout, you can't really win the exercise because it's always going to be something new and challenge that's probably going to keep you in the weight room for a longer uh, period of time or over a few months, rather than just doing the same thing over and over. You're going to get bored. You're not going to do it. And so having new goals is a major part of consistency. Well, and talking and bringing it back to like. All right, what's your job as a personal trainer? Like somebody's paying you to come train with them. And like you have one side of it's like you want to give all those cues. And we talked about like that fucks most athletes up. But yet that's like a trainer feels that and does that. Uh, and to me, it's like the more I've been thinking about it, it's like the only job I have is like to create an environment where other athletes are there for them. You know, like I was thinking about that the other day. I was like the number one thing I do is bring 10 random people together that want to get better. And now they're all engaged in something. We have the, you have the ISOs. It's like those ISOs doing them by themselves. And you've seen it, like they, they do the ISOs by themselves, it's like two minutes. And the other day we had like a group of six people doing it at once. And we had two dudes go for eight minutes straight and then a girl go for five minutes straight. And it's like the only, like, the only thing I provided there was putting those people in the room at the same time together. And that's, that, that's where I've been thinking about more of is like, that's kind of, and, and maybe not like, you still have to have a good training program, but it's like, you don't want to compete with people that have a shitty training program anyway. So it's like, what's your number one job? To me, it's kind of bringing other people that have like-minded goals. So you have that engagement piece that you've brought up. So it is engaging in the weight room. It is engaging in what they're doing. Cause otherwise, like you said, like, it's like, all right, it's just going to turn into Q focus and they have, they have no purpose for being there. It's not as fun. Sucks. It just sucks. Yeah, that's, yeah, like doing ice is what yourself sucks. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'll call it good right here. Like, one minute's good. Yeah. One minute's good. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, it's, uh, that's, uh, I noticed that too. It's like I did do a push up ISO by myself, and it's like, I'm such a bitch. I'm like, I am such a bitch. And that's like part of the training is like being by yourself and like realizing you're a bitch and it's like going through and like fighting that. But then I have a, I have like my roommate come and do it with me. I'm like, I ain't letting this guy beat me. And it's like, so you know, easy to be soft when so, you're alone. Yes, yeah. Yeah. so <laughs> easy. Nobody is there to watch it. You have nobody judging it. And you're like, oh my God. So that was like, that's what, that was really the big opener. It's like me. I was being soft myself. I'm like, I'm bringing people together so they're not soft. And you have somebody that basically like judging them. But it's like, you're always being judged if somebody else is there. And when you're by yourself, it's like, all right, I'm just going to chill. I'm going to be soft today. I also think of like, an important role of being a trainer or a coach is just giving them the space to kind of explore themselves and like figure out who they are. Like I said earlier, but like you said, you want to bring them together to train for people, but also you also gave them that ISO. You, you gave them a space to be together. You also gave them the push up ISO where that was an opportunity for them to kind of go into themselves. And so I think it's not, so focusing on outputs and outcomes may not be your best priority or your most efficient one. It may just be 
giving them the space to try new things because they wouldn't they would not have done a push-up ISO if you didn't tell them to do so. So I think that's another important role. It's not to bring them together, it's giving them some tool, have them go play with it. Boom. Well that's like an hour. That's pretty that's pretty good for a bunch of six meatheads in here. <laughs> um, closing statement. I think this I'm gonna throw a little curveball in here. Uh, you gotta ask the person to your left question to finish it. That's gonna be a closing statement. So I can hit Al with a question, I'll hit you with a question to end it. Okay. Al, what's the uh, what's the best thing I can do to not suck at dunking besides <laughs> give me like give me one piece well, of like actionable applicable uh, advice. My like favorite exercise is like doing low to high box jumps. So like like a maybe like a foot step off, jump to like something like uh, like two, three feet high, like doing that in between like squat, like heavy squats, heavy deadlifts, like trying to like make your ground contact time like as short as possible. All right. Boom. Uh, okay. What we got? I've got some speed dating right here. Jake, what is your number one shoulder exercise? Oh, for glaze, for some glaze. For glaze. Uh, buy hypertrophy clusters. <laughs> four by twenty-five, uh, baby. Yeah, it's probably actually four by twenty-five side delt, rear delt. Um, I mean, I don't know if it grows them, but it, you get a huge. You get it feels good. You get a huge burn, and you look you look massive for the next like five minutes. You look huge. I don't know if it makes them grow though. I don't know what makes shoulders grow, but I think if you do it over and over, you get this. Maybe we'll ask this guy. Um, but yeah, that's what it is. Okay, so will. Uh, people don't really know how really thick you really are. So <laughs> how, how did you get so thick? I'm just fucking thick, man. <laughs> uh, just go lift weights. A lot of days out of the week, a lot of weeks out of the year. What's your diet look like? Oh, You're just like I don't have. Muscle. I don't. I don't have a good diet. I don't have a shit diet. But I don't have a good diet. I don't eat vegetables. I know that's what I was asking. It was just steak and rice. Yeah. Like, all right, just suck your bath. So there's there's two there's two vegetables I'll eat, and that's a baked potato. But that's only if I bake it for myself, or if I get it at like a restaurant, like a Texas Roadhouse or something. Um, and then the other vegetable I'll eat is spinach, and that's only if it's in a shake. Like, I don't eat broccoli, carrots. You don't want to waste stomach space on uh, non yeah, yeah. That's how I got thick. I don't eat vegetables. Don't eat vegetables. Yeah, don't eat vegetables, and that's how you get, that's how you get thick. Uh, so I hope that, uh, that answer is good enough for you, Jake. Yeah, it is. Yeah, that's no. good. That's a great um, but, answer. But, but you have these uh, gigantic quads. How do you get them? How do you get them? A lot of squatting. A lot of front squatting, zercher squatting. After I saw a lot of videos of you zercher squatting. Yeah, was I was I the one who brought the zercher? The popular. You brought the zercher. Or was it Bugenhagen? It, it was Bugenhagen then Jake. Yeah, yeah, I think. Yeah. Well, you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> now everybody's doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Kudos. Man. Four or five used to be cool, and now yeah. now locking it. Now it's easy. All right. So, uh, Kendrick, uh, this is, I guess, kind of a cliche. Maybe question, but I always think it's interesting to hear what people say is what is like the biggest change in mind you've had in the past 
year, or I guess another way to phrase it is, what's something that you, you used to do in your either in your own training or how you would program for someone that you think is just terrible and that you fucked up on and now you don't do anymore? Um, I would say like sh- straight bar deadlifts. I think I used to do a lot of them. I used to do them very heavy, but I don't know if they're applicable Why? necessarily. Because I think you can get more output back to what we were talking about earlier and a better product and a better result from like a trap bar or something. And it's like safer. And I can put a lot more weight on the bar for trap bar. And are you, <laughs> are you a good deadlifter? Yeah. Okay. Because that's something that I see too is like, yeah. I would say in, to answer that question for myself, it would be like, like I, I was big into like squatting and doing a bunch of stuff. It's like, no shit you were. Like you're built to fucking squat and you shit. look like something like Al. It's like, you probably don't want to be loading that. Like you're going to tell somebody like that to, they're talking about Jared today too. It's like telling him to squat all the way the way I do. It's like, well, fuck, he do, he jumps way higher than me. You know, it's like he should fucking tell me to jump higher. Like, <laughs> you know, like so it's the things that you're good at. You like almost get addicted, and it makes sense to you. It's like, all right, I can fucking pick this bar up, and you have long limbs, like it's easy. And you have something like me trying to go pick that barbell up, and it's fucking ass. It doesn't look good, and you're like, well, try harder. It's like, oh, that's probably not. Yeah, the I mean, like, like don't get me wrong, I like to straight bar deadlift but it's like if I'm programming for a team or something I just don't think it's necessarily beneficial and I couldn't tell you last time I like straight bar deadlifted but I will and it, like I'll let my ego get after it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> go cause like who doesn't you know but uh, I'd say like that's one element that I don't necessarily like have to do anymore you know what I'm saying like it felt like I had to do it to stay strong or to stay quote unquote like relevant to say you have this high of a number or whatever but it's like I don't necessarily feel like I have to do it anymore. Because that's the dogma of strength and conditioning. Yeah, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, like, I, I just don't feel like I have to do it. And it's yeah. like I can still get stronger and do a bunch of other things. Slap some wheels on. Yeah. See, then you get to the point where you don't have to do anything because you quit. Yeah. <laughs> you quit calling strength. You don't have to do any exercise. You don't have to deadlift or yeah. squat or bench because yeah. you're not training anyone. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty <spiteful>. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, do you love to win or do you hate to lose? Ooh, I don't know. I kind of have like, I, I look, I think about this. So like I've been reading, something that's fucking me up with competition is like I read Naval and I read like a bunch of these philosophers and it's all like eliminate competition, eliminate competition in your life. And then I fucking, I, I get sucked into competition. It's so addicting to me. It's like, you need like, I, it's an addi- I don't know. It's like the addiction of trying to win. And like I struggle with, all right, if I cut competition out of my life, like that's like 95% of what the fuck I'm doing. So like, <laughs> do I change everything? So I've actually been thinking about that. I don't really have a great answer of direction. Softball's been something I've been thinking about a lot. It's like, it's the skill acquisition that keeps you competitive. And then you have all these like brilliant thinkers being like, that's just the ape side of your brain. And I'm like, yeah, it for sure is. But do I want to eliminate the ape side of my brain or right. like embrace it? So that's been yeah. something I've been thinking about a lot actually is like, am I holding myself back of like who you could be or is it pushing me to be who I want to be? So I don't know. Yeah. All right, Logan, last one. You are, like we mentioned, six years younger than the closest and 11 years younger than the oldest in here. What kind of, what is hanging out with like that age group and like coaches that are a little bit farther on in their careers, like what is that? What has that done for you? What has that taught you? How has that helped you 
interested in that just because you are like I always forget how young you are like they, I do I forget every single time like you talk like you're older and you, you hang out with a bunch of people that are older so like what, what's that been like for you when I was 19 I was I was a fucking idiot I'm 28 and I'm a fucking idiot yeah exactly yeah, I was just more way more of an idiot and I was like there's no way I would have these conversations at 19 I would be fucking 10 o'clock yeah I would just be loading up a safety squad bar and fucking sending that you know yeah so I think I think two main things. So one thing is that just hanging out with you guys is showing me all the different routes I could take and that there are options outside of go to college, get a degree, get certified, work for a college. There's other things I can do with training that can help people in that. Just talking to you guys, going through Instagrams, really listening to podcasts, talking to you, there's a lot more to life outside of training. And then I think the second thing, really it connects to it, but it's just just relax about this because it's not that important and it's going to be okay. And so when I was in high school, I was just so intense about training and hockey and life really. And I was just worried that I wasn't going to be good enough to find a spot where I belong. But talking to you guys and hanging out, it's like, I'm going to find a spot. I'll be okay. Training and life, it's not that serious. If you just focus on what you need to, you're going to be okay. So I think those are the life lessons I'm picking up is that just relax a little bit and your life will be better. As a young strength coach, last question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How did you, how did you break that mold? Like uh, you talk about doing it, but it's like, is it sure. just hanging out with Jake for the first time? Like how did, how did you break that mold in the first place? So uh, you, you say that, mm-hmm. but it's, you also have the other strength coaches. Like uh, we have a couple of interns, other interns, like it's, they have no chill. It's like CSCS or die, baby. Like it's like like how did how did you break that well, in the first place? Being I think this young? it's just it's rec- it's look at a sports team. So I'll, I'll talk about my, my my personal experience. So my high school hockey team, we had this guy uh, Joe Miller. He got drafted in the NHL last year. He is a ridiculously good hockey player, but I dominate him in the weight room. And I think just that example it shows training doesn't matter if you suck at the sport. And so. That's, that's really where it comes down to. It's a look at a sport and look at the best player. And I'm, from my observation, I'm pretty confident the best guys on the field or the ice, they're not good in the weight room. So then why do we put so much weight on the weight room if it doesn't actually matter in the performance of the sport? So just look at what you want to actually improve. And you don't want to improve the squat, I hope, unless you're a power lifter. You want to improve how they perform. So like we've been talking about this whole night, just look at what actually matters. Well, I think that was powerful for you because, mm-hmm. and maybe Will, you may have a similar story too, but it's like, I had the other aspect of I dominated in the weight room and then I was fed into my ego because I was good on the football field then too. And I honestly think, I talk about this all the time, like that set me back farther than anything else is being good at football in the first place because it's I thought I was good at football because of this, and it was more just fucking forcing. There's so many better ways to go about that. Whereas if I had just been slapped in the face, which I was a little bit freshman year, but then I just changed my methods. And all it was was I practiced more football at a higher level. But for me, it was I changed from an Olympic lifting to like a, a bar a West Side method. When I made that switch, I also was rewarded with success on the field, where it's just I practiced football more. I was better at football. And, but in my head, I was like, it was that switch. And then I fucking swore by Westside and nothing else was the answer. That was the only thing. Whereas like you brought that up. It's like, you had that eye open early. It's like, this guy's sick on the court. And I was like, I didn't have that eye open. Maybe you had the same story. I don't know. But it was like, that, that was a big thing for me. It's like, I didn't have that eye open early. And it took me a long time because I had the ego, like was being fed on the football field itself. 
Yeah, I have a very, I can relate to that very well. So uh, I spent some time in and out of the NFL and in the CFL. And so I signed with Atlanta um, out of college. And I was easily the best lifter on Falcons. But I got cut from the football team, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And so, like, all through college, I was a good lifter and I was a good football player. And then I get to the NFL and I'm like, oh, I'm the best lifter here. <laughs> but I got beat out for the the fullback spot, and it, yeah, so I can just relate to that too. And it, I really didn't pick up on that until, what, till I was done playing football. Like that entire time I was playing football, I truly believed in that. And obviously, there's a lot of aspects that the weight room did help me with. Um, but it's not a one-to-one comparison, and I thought it was. And um, it really wasn't until the last probably year and a half or last two years, probably not even two years, year and a half, um, that I've really started to realize that. And then it, it, it helps me relate to the athletes I work with better too because um, then it makes me not force weight room stuff on them that they don't want to do. And, yeah, it helps in that aspect too. Well, thank you guys for being on. This is awesome. It's a blast, man. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you guys for listening. Keep chopping wood. Join us next week as we dive down another rabbit hole. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a five-star rating. Follow us on Instagram at Austin Yoakum to stay updated on future podcast guests. Keep chopping wood.